Well, good morning and welcome to Lakeside. For anyone who is visiting or is tuning in for the first time, my name is Paul Graham. I'm lead pastor here at Lakeside and um, yeah, just good to be back. I had a little bit of a vacation uh, last week and uh, one of our former elders, Bruce Dunning, filled in fantastic for us as we looked at the wisdom of God in Proverbs. And This morning, we are uh, would normally continue in Matthew, but I'm actually going to continue our break from Matthew for just uh, a little longer to visit uh, an Old Testament uh, story and to study the account of a health crisis in the Old Testament and consider what that crisis uh, is teaching us about God and about ourselves in these present circumstances. The uh, Apostle Paul says of the Old Testament scriptures in 1 Corinthians 10, He says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And so it sort of feels that way, doesn't it? It sort of feels like uh, an end of age kind of vibe going around these days, certainly a crisis, uh, a health crisis even. And so what does the example and the instruction of the Old Testament have for us in our days? And to consider that, we're going to look at a very famous king, uh, King Hezekiah. And uh, we'll take as our main passage Isaiah 38. And you can find a similar account, almost verbatim, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 20. And uh, it's touched on again in 2 Chronicles uh, 32 as well. But we're going to take Isaiah 38 as our main text. And so you can turn there in your Bibles or you can tap there on your phones uh, just as we prepare to spend uh, this week and maybe one or two more uh, looking at King Hezekiah and the crisis that he faced and how uh, God equips us and prepares us for the crises in our life. Uh, Let me just pray uh, before we uh, get into this. Father God, uh, thank you for your word. We're going to open up your scripture now and I just pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts, open our eyes and our minds to what it is that you would teach us so that we could be properly equipped as a people of God uh, to consider the times that we live in and to know how to respond and know how you have equipped and prepared us and how you speak to us in times of crisis. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And so, We're going to consider today uh, five ways in which God sovereignly, uh, meaning, and that means according to his final purposes, prepares and equips his people for crisis uh, to bring about his ends. Because that would be good for us to know right now, right? That, That God is actually participating actively with his people. And that God is neither distant nor distracted, but that God is working by various means to accomplish his authoritative, good, merciful purposes in this crisis. And that's what we see in the story of King Hezekiah. So just looking at Isaiah 38 verses 1 to 6, it says, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. And then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, 
I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. Now, first of all, before we get into this, we need a little bit of context. Um, maybe it's been a little while since you've been in Isaiah or Second Kings, and uh, you just need to brush up on what's happening here. And it's important that we understand the context. Uh, so Isaiah begins chapter 38 by saying, in those days. And so what are those days? Well, the days that Isaiah is speaking of and of King Hezekiah is during the time of the split kingdom of Israel. Um, after David came Solomon, and after Solomon came two sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and uh, they basically got into a civil war, and the kingdom of Israel was split in two. So there was a, a northern kingdom, which continued to be called Israel, and then there was a southern kingdom called Judah, which was largely Jerusalem and a small area surrounding it. Well, the nation of Assyria had captured the north kingdom, and there was an evil king, Hosea, who basically did horrible things in the sight of the Lord, and Israel ended up paying a price for their evil ways. And the nation of Assyria was sent to judge Israel. And so the northern kingdom was, was captured. And then Judah at the time, the southern kingdom, uh, was had the king Ahaz, who's Hezekiah's father. He was also an evil king, not very good guy at all. And uh, But Hezekiah takes the throne when he's 25 years old from his father. And at the time that he's on the throne, maybe three or four years, is when uh, Assyria captures the north. And then uh, in the 14th year of his reign, so when he's 39 years old, Assyria begins attacking the south. It begins attacking Jerusalem. And so uh, you sort of pick up the story of Hezekiah when Assyria sends a letter to him, uh, basically demanding the surrender of the southern kingdom of Judah. And Hezekiah takes this letter. This is the kind of king that he was. First of all, when he came into power, he cleaned up, uh, you know, the worship uh, of false gods, and he restored the law, and he's a very good king, which we'll get into later. Um, but Assyria sends this letter asking Judah to surrender. And Hezekiah takes this letter, and he takes it to the temple, and he lays it before the Lord, and he prays to God, and he says, you know, deliver us from this. Um, you know, deliver us from our enemies. And, uh, and God does deliver. And you can read about all of that in Second Kings chapters 18 to 19. And he sends an angel and he restores the kingdom of Israel and, and they are set free. Um, or restores the kingdom of Judah um, and protects them for a time. But Assyria is still a threat. And so the thing to keep in mind here is that those days were not the good old days. Um, God's people were under constant threat. More than half the kingdom was gone into captivity, and uh, the local superpower had basically decided that Judah was its next conquest. And so the time of the kingdom of Judah right now is not a good time. And when we consider the times that we're in, or, or the timing of this crisis showing up in our own storyline, we can wonder, why is this crisis showing up now? Um, some of you who are listening into this and watching this this morning are already dealing with health problems. You're already sick, or maybe you're already dealing with financial issues. You are already struggling to find a job. Um, you know, your mental health maybe was not so great, or the family situation was already struggling. So God's people were already facing challenges in this time, and now 
we're all together thrown into this extra crisis uh, of COVID-19. And, and we want to ask, God, what is going on in these times? Why is it crisis upon crisis? Judah didn't need another crisis, but it was coming anyway in the form of an illness to the one good king that they had had and who has, by his faithfulness, rescued them so far from Assyria. So what's going to happen if he's gone? That's the times that they find themselves in and that Hezekiah is in. Then it says, in these times, Hezekiah, well, let's talk a little bit about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the best king of Israel. He was uh, a son of one of the worst kings of uh, of Israel or of Judah, um, the southern kingdom, which is actually encouraging in, even of itself. You may not have come from the best background. You may not have the most prestigious parents. You may have had a childhood uh, that you would not boast about. Uh, that would be Hezekiah's life. His father was evil. His father did evil in the sight of the Lord. He was cruel. And yet Hezekiah rose to be a king when he was 25, and he rose to be a great king. This is just the reality of God, that he offers you a new beginning, that he offers you a new identity, that it doesn't matter where you came from, God has and can redeem your life. But that's Hezekiah. There was no king like him or after him, it says in 2 Kings 18.5. It says that uh, basically in the time of, uh, since Solomon, since the time of the split, that there has never been a king like him and there was never a king like him after him. Uh, he was the best king of Judah. He didn't depart from following the ways of the Lord, it says in 18.6. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered, it says in verse 7 in, in chapter 18 of Second Kings. And that's hard to beat. I mean, when you think about it, if, if it was said of you that you did what was right, that you trusted the Lord, that God was with you, and that whatever you did prospered, you would be very blessed and happy to have that said of you. And that's what was said of Hezekiah, that he always did what was right, that he was blessed, that everything he touched prospered in the sight of the Lord, and we would be happy with that. And so the reality is in this crisis, we're looking at the story of a godly king. This is not the story of a wicked king. This is the best king. And we need to understand that hardship comes on God's people. Hardship comes on good people. There's consequences to sin in the world, and, and suffering is one of those consequences. But as we're going to see, God does not leave his people unequipped for suffering, nor does he leave his people um, in the state of where sin uh, trumps the power to erase God's blessing. We're going to see that even though good things come to, bad things come to good people, that God continues to bless. And anyway, we see here of, of Hezekiah in, in verse 1 here that he became sick and was at the point of death. And so essentially an unexpected illness comes along at a very bad time. Not only is his own life in crisis in terms of his imminent death, but even the nation of Judah's future is thrown into question because this is the king that's protected them so far. And so it seems like their last days, Hezekiah's last days, maybe even Judah's last days. And so now those are the times and the circumstances that we're looking at here in Isaiah as we consider the account of Hezekiah. So how does God begin to interact with Hezekiah in the midst of this crisis? So as I said, I want to look at five ways that God uses as a normal means of acting sovereignly in the lives of his people in crisis. Okay, so God's people will find themselves in crisis, and there are that I see in this text, at least five ways that God normally equips us, prepares us, responds to us in crisis. And we want to look at those five ways. 
So the first one is, is that God equips and acts sovereignly in times of crisis through his people, through the people of God, through his people. And, and it starts out with, in this account, of essentially a pastoral visit. Uh, verse 1 says, And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. So all of this is happening at the time that the great prophet Isaiah is at work in Judah. And Isaiah pays a visit to the king. Now, this is a very strange pastoral visit, okay? Granted, it's not at first the visit that you would want from your pastor. It would be bad enough if a doctor came to your bedside and said, there's nothing more medicine can do for you. It's another thing when perhaps the greatest prophet since Elijah comes to you and says, write your will, like do it tonight because God says you're going to die. And then he literally turns around and walks away. And I'm not kidding. If you look at the account in Second Kings, it reveals that Isaiah is basically on his way out of the palace in the middle courtyard, halfway through uh, leaving when Hezekiah, before he even finishes the first of his, of his little prayers here. So <laughs> Isaiah basically drops in and says, you're going to die. God said so. So that's not the pastoral visit that you're looking for. I don't think I could get away with that. But let's not miss this fact or this point that's important here. Isaiah tells Hezekiah exactly what he needs to hear at the critical moment of his crisis. If Isaiah waits until tomorrow, Hezekiah is probably already dead. No warning, no prayer, no recovery. The king is dead. The kingdom is captured. But Hezekiah hears from Isaiah right when he needs to hear from him. And he hears from Isaiah right what he needs to hear. So God meets us in our crisis with people that we need to tell us what it is that we need to hear. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul's talking about this very thing when he's talking about the church and the people of God. He says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. So he's saying, admonish, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and certainly what... Isaiah was doing here was an admonishment. So don't turn away God's people when they come to you in crisis and speak what you need to hear, even if it's not easy words to hear. The people of God are not there to punish you. The people of God are there to admonish you and to encourage you and to tell you what you need to hear so that you respond rightly to God. They're there to speak the words that bring you life. So Isaiah is going to redeem himself in a little bit when God gives him good news to speak a few minutes later. And so let's just, even though it's not a great way that Isaiah has sort of started this pastoral visit, uh, let's just hang on because he's going to bring good news. So the first thing is just that God equips us in times of crisis and prepares us and responds to us through his people. The second thing is that God equips us and prepares us through his word. God speaks to us. So in the midst of the crisis, God is not silent. God speaks to Hezekiah. Not at first what Hezekiah wants to hear, but the word of God is what Hezekiah needs to hear. We need to hear the word of God in our crisis, and God gives us his words. In times past, like this that we're reading about now, God spoke by his prophets, like Isaiah. But Hebrews 1-2 tells us that in these days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed as the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And so God is speaking to us through the life and through the words of Jesus Christ, which we have that Hezekiah didn't have. 
2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so we have all of scripture, Old and New Testament, which speaks to us. So understand that God is not silent in our crisis. God is speaking to us and God equips us and prepares us through his word for when crisis comes. In our crisis, we need to be leaning into God's word, whether that comes through his people, like it did with Isaiah, and it can through the church, or whether it comes through the words of Jesus Christ, whether it comes through his spirit, whether it comes through the word of God in the form of scripture. We need to lean into God speaking into our life. Don't close your ears to God in the midst of crisis. That is how God is responding to you is with his word. Hezekiah never had Jesus. He didn't have the New Testament revelation of the grace of God. But God has equipped and blessed and prepared us with his words if we know it. Here's the problem, though. Too often Christians go into times of crisis unequipped and unprepared because they have ignored God's word, even though God has been speaking to them. Sometimes for many months or perhaps for many years, God's been wanting to speak to Christians, and yet his word has laid closed on their nightstand table. Or they have closed their ears to the people of God who have tried to speak to them. Or they've not listened to the softening of their heart by the Holy Spirit and the, and the, uh, the tweaking of their conscience that is going on from Jesus himself. And so if you don't open the word of God, if you don't listen to God's people, if you don't listen to Jesus and the spirit of Christ in you when he's speaking to you, then you will not be prepared for crisis. But this is how God prepares us, is with his people and with his word. The third thing that God does, and we see here in the text, is that God equips us and prepares us and brings us through crisis through prayer. Prayer is powerful in changing the course of our history. It says in verse 2, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So it's interesting here that Hezekiah, on hearing the news of his imminent death, he doesn't ask Isaiah any questions. I would have had a lot of questions. I mean, maybe the fact that Isaiah is heading out the door has something to do with the fact that Hezekiah doesn't ask any questions. But the king doesn't even stop him and ask him any questions like, why is this happening? Why now? Can you fill me in on some details? Hezekiah immediately turns his face to the wall and starts praying. It is, is his very first response. And you might wonder, just as an aside, why he turns his face to the wall. And that's largely a cultural thing. Um, uh, Jewish people, um, Hebrews, uh, prayed largely with their eyes open and looking up to heaven. And so the idea of closing your eyes to pray is actually kind of a more modern Western thing. It's not an Eastern thing. Um, or an ancient thing. And so uh, it would be normal for Hezekiah to keep his eyes open. And so he turns towards the wall just to blot everything out, just to focus in on God and pray as his first response. And so in crisis, we, we run to God, not away from God in prayer. We stay focused on God and lean into God in intense prayer. Um, the verse ends there. It says that he wept bitterly. And that doesn't mean that Hezekiah was bitter about what was going on or bitter towards God. In Hebrew, those two words, wept bitterly, are beki gadol. And the the word wept is beki, and gadol is a word that you add on to another word in order to intensify it. 
or increase its power. So that's what gadol means. And so it means he wept strongly or he wept intensely. And we'll talk about that more next week when we talk about how we feel and what we fear in crisis. But the point here in terms of prayer is that it indicates the intensity of how Hezekiah was praying. So God has given us prayer and prayer is powerful to change the course of our history. Prayer is the normal means through which God includes us in his sovereign will. In this case, God said through Isaiah, you will die, you will not recover. And that seems very final. And then Hezekiah prays and God says, okay, you're not going to die now. You're going to get 15 more years. And, and you read those two things and you think that God is very double-minded or you think that you know God is very capricious. He's just playing games uh, with this king. And that seems cruel. Unless we understand that prayer is the normal means, especially in a crisis that God includes his people in his sovereign will, God intends his will to be fulfilled by and including Hezekiah's prayers. If Hezekiah had not prayed, he would have died. And God would have needed to fulfill his will, his sovereign will for the kingdom of Judah and for his people in some other way. But God does not intend to fulfill his will some other way. He intends his servants and he intends Hezekiah to participate with him by prayer. So God sent Isaiah to say exactly what Hezekiah needed to hear in order for Hezekiah to start praying intensely. And Hezekiah does pray and God's sovereign will is done. And we actually have a kind of a hint here, or maybe more than a hint, uh, in this account of Hezekiah that it is always God's sovereign will that is being accomplished. As the course of history is being changed, and we are participating in that history through our action and through our prayer, it's God's will that's getting done. And, and, and what's hidden in here, sort of, is the fact that Hezekiah, at this point in his life, has no heir. He is a grand, great-great-great-great-grandson of David. And... God has promised that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come through the line of David. And so Hezekiah, at this point, has no heir. But God's will is that he will have an heir and that it will continue to the Messiah, to Jesus. You remember Matthew, and we went over that in the beginning of Matthew. So if Hezekiah dies here, you have no son, you have no line of David by this means. And so if Hezekiah... But Hezekiah does pray, and Hezekiah doesn't die... And what we learn is that his son is actually born three years later. So three years after he was supposed to die here, God preserves him. He has a son. His son takes the throne when he's 12 years old after Hezekiah's 15 years are done. And so God's will that the line of David would continue along this branch to arrive at the Messiah is fulfilled. And so you see that Hezekiah's illness and Hezekiah's prayer is all bound up in God's will. And so it's difficult for us, and we rarely believe that our prayer is powerful in affecting history and powerful in affecting the sovereign will of God. But that's a deep, deep mystery that's true. Don't think that your prayers have no effect on your history or even on God's sovereign will. Our prayers do not only change us. They change the way God unfolds his sovereign will. We see this with Moses and God's wrath against the people at Mount Sinai in Exodus 32. We see it with Abraham and Sodom, where he enters into a dialogue with God through his angel. And 
the Lord relents from uh, the disaster and the number of people that would be required in the city of Sodom to prevent the disaster. Or we see it even with Jonah, not even with God's people, but with Jonah when he goes to Nineveh and he declares that in 40 days the city's going to be destroyed. Just like this proclamation against Hezekiah, it seems very final. But the people of Nineveh Nineveh repent and in sackcloth and ashes. And it says in Jonah 3.10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to him and he did not do it. So even, even this pagan nation of Nineveh, Assyrians actually, uh, God listens to their prayer and it works within his sovereign will to accomplish his purposes. So we see in both the Old and the New Testament this reality uh, of, of the power of prayer in crisis and how it actually affects history and the will of God. Um, in James 5.16, he says, in very personal circumstances, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so God has given us prayer in crisis to get us through it, to prepare us for crisis and to meet us and restore us in crisis. God intends his people to enter into intense prayer in crisis and to work through that prayer. And I know so many of you are praying, and so don't stop in your prayer in the midst of this crisis. Lean in in prayer. Let the weight of the crisis land on you and pray with the intensity that matches the crisis. So God works through his people. God works through his word. God works through his prayer in crisis. Fourthly, God equips us by his works in our life. The nature of Hezekiah's prayer is actually interesting, and we're going to unpack it more next week. But when he asks God to remember his own life, I don't think he intends it as a negotiation. In other words, Hezekiah is not asking God to remember all the good things that he has done. I've been a good person. You know, I've, you know, tore down the Asherahs and I restored the law and I, um, you know, recovered uh, the heart of the people for you. And so I've been a good person and you owe me a healing. We know that Hezekiah doesn't think of himself that way because later on in verse 17, he admits all the sins that God has to forgive him of and, and all the sins that God has cast behind his back. So this is not Hezekiah believing that he is somehow a good person or that he hasn't sinned or that God uh, owes him something because of his righteousness. Rather, I think what's happening here is that Hezekiah is remembering the fact that God restored his law in his people, and he heard Hezekiah's prayers to turn away the Assyrians, and he renewed proper worship through Hezekiah. And so Hezekiah is, in a sense, reminding himself and reminding God that God has worked in his life in the past, and Hezekiah is remembering all the powerful ways in which God worked. And you see, God equips us for crisis by reminding us and showing us where he's been at work in our lives all along. We get into a crisis of health or we get into a crisis of any other circumstance or even a crisis of faith. And through his people and by his word and in prayer, God reminds us, hey, you have been my child for a long time. I've always been turning bitterness into blessing. I've always been rescuing you. I've always been turning suffering into salvation. I don't forget, but it is nice to see that you are remembering. Think back to our history together and be comforted. I'm not abandoning you. And we see this over and over again as we go through the Old Testament, as we go through the scriptures. 
We see it over and over again in the Psalms as the writers remember God's works. And we see it in Daniel and Jeremiah and other places as well. In Daniel 9.15, in that great prayer of Daniel, he says, Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned and we have done wickedly, You see, he's confessing his sin, but he's saying, remember, you're the God who brought us out of Egypt. And he goes into an account of all the things that God has done. Or Jeremiah 32, 21, he says, you brought our people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders and with a strong hand and an outstretched arms and with great terror. And so Jeremiah is remembering, God, you did this. And so God prepares us for crisis and sustains us in the midst of suffering by his works in our life and the history that we have with him to remember that we are his children and that he is our God. And we see later on as he replies, as God answers and Isaiah brings the word of God back to Hezekiah, he's like halfway out the door and like a minute later, he literally turns around and walks back. God immediately answers this prayer and he says, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. And so God uses his history with his people to encourage and to remind us that he is faithful to act. And then fifthly, finally, God equips us and restores us in crisis by natural provision. There's an interesting little sort of addendum near the end of this. Uh, If we jump down in Isaiah 38, verse 21, we'll just jump down down there and we'll see. After Isaiah has told him what's going to happen, he's going to get 15 more years, God is going to heal him. Now, Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Uh, That's an interesting kind of ending to this, right? Because you would think that God could easily just do a miracle as he usually does and make Hezekiah well. You're sick. Now you're not sick. Done. 15 more years. Go in peace, right? But God doesn't do that. He, He provides for Hezekiah miraculously. But he does his miracle through what seems like normal means. He says, go get some figs, make a paste or a cake or a poultice out of it or a compress and put it on the boil that he's, we don't know what the sickness is, but apparently had boils so that it recovers. That's kind of strange, right? He's basically saying, give him some medical help. Um, I can remember, this is going back a long way, but I, I remember this distinctly. My grandma used to make mustard plasters if we were sick with a bad cold or flu. She would get this band-aid cloth type of thing and smear mustard and all kinds of weird stuff on it, who knows what, and she would take that mustard thing and stick it to my chest. And so I had all the fumes from the mustard and I guess the mustard was like going through my skin into my lungs or something. It was really kind of wacky, but hey, I'm here today, so who knows? She might have saved my life with these mustard plasters. But we have this same sort of thing going on with Hezekiah, okay? Figs must have some sort of antibiotic property or some sort of medical purpose, and God says, look, I've provided a way for you to get better. I'm not saying it's not a miracle, because it is a miracle that God provides, and God actually does a miracle in this case. He actually does one of the more powerful miracles ever recorded as a sign that his promise is good here. Um, We'll maybe touch on that next week or another time. Uh, We can't get into it here, but he, he actually 
the shadow of the sun instead of moving down the steps like it normally does moves back up 10 steps so i don't know whether god is spinning the earth backwards or moving the sun or just i don't know what but uh, it's an incredible miracle and in fact um neighboring nations actually send envoys to to uh to hezekiah later on uh, we read about that in chronicles uh, that uh, envoys come to talk to Hezekiah about this sign that they saw where it's like, how come the shadows went backwards that day? What was going on? So so there's not a question here of whether God can do the miracle. He's doing the miracle, but he's also doing it through natural means. And so what we take away from this is in the midst of a crisis, as things are going on, health crisis or otherwise, God often uses practical provisional means to meet our need in a crisis. So, it doesn't make sense as Christians to say, I'm not going to wear a mask because God will protect me from the virus. God will protect you by giving you a mask to wear sometimes. Or I'm not going to get chemotherapy because God's going to cure me of my cancer. Yes, God can cure you of your cancer and he may cure you of your cancer and he may use chemotherapy to do it. And so this is why we understand as Christians that God often works through his people and through his word and through prayer and miraculously, but he also acts through means. He uses natural, physical means that he created, that he provided in order to act in our life. And so we need to see counselors. We need to take medication. We need to wear prescription glasses because God does meet us in our need through natural means as well. James 5.14 says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Oil was a, a, a medical type of means that was used for cleansing and for healing. 1 Timothy 5.23, just about everybody's favorite verse. Paul's advice to Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And so here Paul is saying to Timothy, look, like I know that you have indigestion. I know that you have ailments. I know that you sometimes uh, have some irritable bowel syndrome, whatever it is that's going on. Just you don't have to just drink water. OK, take a little wine once in a while uh, just to help out your digestion. And uh, so God works in us through normal means. We must not, as God's people, overlook the normal means that God uses to bring about our comfort in times of crisis. So these are the five ways that I see God meeting Hezekiah in his moment of crisis. Five ways that God normally, often acts all through Scripture. And, and Scripture has shown that he will prepare and equip his people for crisis and then act sovereignly and even miraculously in that crisis for their blessing. He does it through his people. He does it through his word. He does it through prayer. He does it... Um, now you've caught me. I've forgotten it already. <laughs> he does it through the history of his works in our life and his walking with us in life. And then he does it through natural provision as well. These five ways that God meets us in provision. It's interesting. Spurgeon said at one point, there is no greater mercy that I know of on earth other than good health, unless it's sickness. So... <laughs> In his wry sort of way, Spurgeon puts his finger on this reality that God is always at work in crisis, even in crises of health. That we may think that we are blessed to have good health, 
But what Spurgeon knew is that God often was working far more powerfully in our lives when we were in a state of unhealth, when we were in a state of crisis. And so when we consider what God is doing in this crisis, consider all the ways that he is at work in his people and how he wants you to lean into him in at least these five ways and probably five more. So turn to Jesus and seek the face of God with urgency and walk rightly before God through this crisis. Guard your walk, guard your heart, guard your spiritual formation as you walk through this crisis. Walk righteously and upright, righteously through it. Don't miss his blessing and don't miss his provision in this crisis. God has great blessing and comfort for us. Even if he's not going to miraculously cure everyone, even if he's not going to miraculously even make this crisis disappear immediately, that doesn't mean that God is not at work and that God's people are not to be leaning into him during this time. So as God's people, learn from Hezekiah, learn from Isaiah. Let's keep our eyes open to how God is at work in our life and lean into his blessings. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you what we can learn from it. There's just so much here in this short text. It is so rich with with things that we can learn. I just pray that we would take this this first message that you've given us on these five ways that you are at work in the midst of crisis, preparing your people for crisis and holding us up and encouraging us in crisis. And then we'll take that into next week and we'll be ready to hear what's normal for us. This is the normal way that you act sovereignly in our lives. There is a normal way in which Christians respond to you. And so we want to look at Hezekiah and his response to the crisis and understand what the normal Christian feelings and fears are that we'll look into next week, Lord. So just prepare our hearts for that, uh, even as we meditate on what we've learned today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.